Hello world and welcome to Her Royal Science. Thanks so much for tuning in. Today we'll be continuing our conversation with Dr. Angela Kaida, an associate professor and Canada Research Chair at Simon Fraser University. In today's episode, we discuss the concept of balance and the undue pressure that is placed on women in academia and in general to be superwomen. If you haven't yet listened to the Kaida Path Part 1, please do. It is a lovely conversation in which we discuss her captivating research, which focuses on the links between HIV and sexual and reproductive health. But to kind of switch gears a little bit, would you mind talking a little bit about your family, career, and the interplay between the two? Women who are pursuing scientific careers, academic careers, I know this weighs heavily, you know, how to, how to, how to you know have the family that you that you want mm-hmm. or that you don't want? I mean, mm-hmm. there's both sides, and and have your career and the discussion about it. I've personally have found pretty unappealing. <laughs> really, <laughs> you know, in that in that it's like you know how do you have how do you find balance and how you do all this stuff? It just a lot of it just seems pretty unachievable um, mm. to me. It, it sounded pretty unachievable and pretty. Um, foreign and and kind of like not fun mm. the way it was being discussed at least at my time maybe things have gotten better mm. um and I didn't and the examples that were being given were people who either gave it all up for their career yeah. and some didn't regret it some did regret it mm. but not a lot of different models of maybe how you can do it in a way that feels for good you. for mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and I so I guess I think it's it's really important for women to share um, just to share the way they did it, and it's not the way to do it. Yes, or and maybe it's not even the way they did it. The way they are trying to mm-hmm. do it. Yeah. Um. You know, it's there's no model. There's no one model, but I think mm-hmm. more models make it uh, more likely that something will resonate. Yeah. Um. With where who you are and what you want and where you're at and what supports you mm-hmm. might have in your life. Yeah. And that part of the picture, you know. We, it's hard for people to talk about, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm, I'm a superwoman. I did everything by myself. I, you know, reverse is talking about, like, I really had to draw on this type of support. Yeah. And I was lucky enough to have my in-laws or my parents mm-hmm. or other members of my family be there to, to support me through this. It takes a village, man. Yeah. It, <laughs> it does. And, yeah. um, or this is the ways that my partner may be sacrificed mm. to during this time and, and and that's kind of how you we made it happen or we had money mm-hmm. man and we could we could pay for some yeah. of that <laughs> yeah <laughs> like i i think you know there's nobody is doing this nobody is raising kids and having a scientific career mm-hmm. without any help assistance care guidance anything right yeah, <laughs> yeah. and if they are i mean I haven't met just him yet. Feel, well, and, <laughs> and just feel for them because this is this is a hard journey. This is a hard path. Mm-hmm. And so we could do a lot more as a as a community to support people who find, who are in those circumstances mm. for sure. So this, then for you, that that's a great lead in. Yeah. How did you do it? What support did you have? Yeah, I mean I have I I think fundamentally I I found <laughs> I like to think of parenting as, um, like, how do I say this without sounding sanctimonious? I, 
I'm happy. I, yeah. I wanted to do it. I yes. wanted to be, I okay. want to do it. It's almost like it's easy or I always like it or, or whatever. Mm. But I, I didn't, I didn't resonate with the narrative that it was always a burden to my career. Mm. Mm-hmm. I wanted, I, I wanted a narrative that it was like, yeah, it makes things, some things like, like a lot harder, man, mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. But I didn't want to just think about it as a burden to my, to my career yeah. in that, you know, it, it motivates me in some ways. It makes me better in some ways. It makes mm. me healthier in some ways. It mm. makes me, you know, um, I don't know, just for me, mm. for me, this is not everybody's story, but that mm. for me, it makes me better. Yeah. Um, and maybe not better scientist, but better overall, maybe a better thinker, maybe better, more compassionate, maybe mm. research questions that come to me are different um, right. than they were before. And so I, I would say, like, it's, it's a journey. <laughs> um, but I, you know, and I, and I really struggled with, like, okay, what's the right time mm. to have a, have a child? And when will you be taken seriously? And when will you not be taken seriously? Yeah. So if you kind of show up at, at job interviews and you have, uh, I remember for me, I had one, my first son during my PhD. Mm-hmm. And I had uh, my Second son in the first year of my of my my tenure track appointment. Oh, <laughs> I don't know if that's like so. I don't know if it's good or not. Good. I don't know, but at the same time, for women, like it takes an amount of time yeah. to get through like a graduate training, mm-hmm. and so there are just some realistic. I guess constraints on yeah. what are the years you have available. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. And so I I was panicky about having to tell people oh. and hated that it was a, a part of my life that I couldn't keep private. Yeah. Um, oh, had such sucks. jealousy of my male colleagues that could announce that they had a baby after the baby was born mm-hmm. and nobody would have been the wiser. Yeah. Um I I that I hated. I, I hated imagine. the the um personal becoming like entering your professional life without your um, control Mm -hmm. over it yeah maybe that's just like control freak problem but I really I personally struggled with that a lot yeah a lot and I struggled with you know how seriously I might be taken and all of these kinds of questions I think women ask ourselves all the time Mm -hmm. how much would they trust that I'd be able to handle it and how much was I going to overcompensate and oh my god like it's stressful and I guess I just want to validate that for anybody who is thinking about it, going through it, struggling through it in maybe uh, less supportive environments, yeah. both professionally and personally. Mm-hmm. And I just really want to give every every woman in that circumstance just a huge kudos because it's, mm-hmm. it is tough to navigate. It is. It is so incredibly tough. One question that I had because of what you just said mm-hmm. is, it affects your work, but how do you parent differently because of what you've learned in the world of public health and global health? Yeah. What do you teach your boys? Yeah, I mean, it's such a great question because, you know, I, I do so much work with women and yeah. understanding women, and then I've been given these two boys I to know. raise, and I, I find <laughs> it just like a just a hilarious sort of life thing. And I and and I guess, you know, I, I teach my, my kids about... I teach, I try, well, let me see. I don't know if they're learning it. I'm trying. <laughs> I try to teach them about power mm. um, and, and what it looks like and what it, 
how it manifests in a lot of in different ways yeah. how to be aware of it how to mm. not abuse it mm. um, how to understand people's circumstances through a lens of of power and inequity mm. and of course how to talk about gender mm-hmm. um, and and it's it's been pretty fascinating I mean and also we talk very openly about HIV yeah. and so um, just tell a small anecdote that when my son was maybe four, he was playing a game of um, 20 questions. Yeah. Where you ask, you know, is it bigger than a bread box? Is it smaller than this? Is yeah. it alive? Is it whatever? Yeah. And he was playing it with my sister-in-law and her family. And at the end of it, they, they couldn't guess what the <laughs> item was. And at the end, he said, guys, it's HIV. <laughs> so they just thought this was like, wonderful and, and hilarious and it was accurate he knew it was a pathogen yeah. he knew it was a virus he knew you know he, oh he answered God. the questions properly but <laughs> I you know and he knows and so I, I think it's like it's an interesting it's interesting for me to talk about sexual reproductive health with them mm. in a way that's like because they're not they don't know stigma yet yes. in this space right they 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 don't know that kind of stuff yet. Mm. And so it's been really interesting to just talk to them about it, like as yeah. information, as knowledge. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we'll see. We're not, I'm not in the tough years yet in, <laughs> in many ways, so we'll see. But I think that that's been, that's been I guess, part of a blessing of, of parenthood to mm. really try out your big ideas yeah. <laughs> on these small people and try to answer their questions of which there might be many. Of which there are many and weird. They're always weird kind of questions. Yeah. You know? um, but, and, and, you know, we, we, because of my research, we went to, we as a family spent a year in, in South Africa, in Durban. Mm-hmm. Um, I was getting a study, uh, working with our colleagues there to get a study on adolescents up and running, focused on HIV prevention. And so we all moved there and they went to school there and mm-hmm. they did all this sort of stuff. And, of course, you know, in South Africa, you bring up tons of, Issues of racial dynamics mm. and inequities, yeah, and bigotry, and yeah, all of this stuff that we want to pretend in Canada we don't have. We have. We totally have it. <laughs> we have it. Okay, so we don't need to look far to <laughs> to oh look oh look how bad South Africa. Is. Yeah, no, we have it. Yeah, we, totally. we have it. Uh, but it's it's different, obviously mm-hmm. there. And so you know, I think navigating through that and and their mm. own privilege and their own. Um, access and their friends and mm. you know meeting other families and going to other families houses that were really different from ours and, yeah and stuff like that and I'm I'm blessed to have the opportunity to show them um, and to, to well for them to be who they are in those spaces mm. and have that exposure and and that's you know because of the work that I'm fortunate enough to do yeah yeah how do they identify in South Africa? Did they end up sort of passing for, you know, white South Africans? Were they more close to, you know, the black population? Where do they yeah, fall? How did they fit in? Was, what did they feel? It's complicated. We all look... Uh, <laughs> so I think um, uh, for myself, there's a lot, There's a large Indian population in Durban. Mm-hmm. And so I think for me, I get a lot of that mm-hmm. just kind of expectation yeah. great and no problem um my husband's australian and so he has a he's white mm. but he has an australian accent which can be confused for south african it has accent. a lot of south africanness in it exactly yes. yeah. and so he sort of navigated that mm. space mm. and then my older son looks quite a bit like me um and really 
was considered colored, the mm-hmm. language of colored that they use in South Africa, yeah. mostly from the Western Cape. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of gave him a certain, like just, you know, interacting with, with folks from yeah. a different lens. Mm-hmm. And then my younger son is quite fair-skinned, and so he was probably more in the white South Africa, like weird-looking, <laughs> but like probably a bit more in that in that space. Yeah. So for us as a family, I think it's why I loved living in Durban, because yeah. Durban has a lot of different things going on compared to Johannesburg. But we really, depending on, the de- on who was walking with whom, mm. we had very different... Uh, we were received quite differently. I Do you have say. any stories of that? Of ways that yeah, was, like what were those differences? So I would say for my my older son, uh, when people thought that he was he was colored, which as terminology is difficult to explain. Yes, to it, it's not the way it was used in the U.S. in the 1960s, for instance. It, it, it's a term of actually an, an actual ethnic term. Exactly. Yeah, that refers. to... Typically, to people who are mixed exactly. in descent, yeah. But it, but more, I think in South Africa, more than just mixed, they have a there's a there's a there's a, a style of talking. Yes. There's a cultural. It's become connection. its own ethnicity. Exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so the language around it is complicated to explain to mm-hmm. somebody who's not South African. Mm-hmm. Um, but lacking the cultural connection or cultural identity to it, it's like you have a look, but you yeah. don't have the the way of speaking or the cultural references or any of those types of things. So he, he, his friends were quite confused by him in, in some ways at the beginning, yeah. but delighted. I mean, he's a delightful person. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I, I think that we got a lot of questions about, you know, how, how does this, is this do does everybody in Canada look like this? You know the, those mm, kinds of questions that yeah. little kids ask each other. Yeah, and so you know I don't I I I think overall we had such a positive experience there, and mm-hmm. and then my parents came to visit us. And my mom is is black. My dad is Indian. Looks very Indian, mm. and so when they came to Durban and were with us, yeah. oh, then we got a whole other um, kind of dynamic I can imagine. going on and yeah. uh um and you know because of South Africa's complicated uh history mm-hmm. it it looks a little bit more pronounced in that setting mm-hmm. but um certainly we the questions about it we got a lot of questions about it a lot of interest mm-hmm. a lot of curiosity a lot of like what's happening here <laughs> yeah did you yeah. ever find that that was the case here that you got those same questions we do but in different ways uh. so you know, people who think that I'm my younger son's nanny. You know, oh, stuff like that. You know, yeah. just, just I didn't know people still did that. Oh my god! <laughs> so there's just there's stuff like that. Um, but honestly, like the the questions in South Africa from kids, right? That's mostly who you're interacting with. We're just yeah. so genuinely curious. Yeah. You know about about. This type of thing is a young country, and things are, you know, things were highly segregated. They're still very segregated. Yes. So to see that kind of thing is is of interest in some parts. You know, mm-hmm. probably in Johannesburg, and it's not interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But uh, certainly where we were. Yeah. I mean, just to kind of give our, our listeners a little bit of background, if they don't know, South mm-hmm. Africa was under the rule of apartheid for a very long time, up until 94, mm-hmm. I believe. So that means people who are my age had the remnants of this very firm 
awful system that kept people of different ethnicities away from each other Mm -hmm. and also subjugated majority black South Africans. And so some of that remnant, those remnants are definitely felt today. And I I wonder what it's like now. I haven't been to South African in ages at this point. So I have no idea what the dynamics are now. I have some family that lived there, but I have no idea. Were you there in the 90s at all? No, okay. I wasn't. Okay. I wasn't. I, the first time I went to South Africa was in 2006, mm. I want to say. Um, pregnant. But in 2000, <laughs> and, yeah, 2006, and primarily in Johannesburg, Soweto kind of area, and by myself, not with, obviously, mm-hmm. before all of these people came into my life. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I, I, so things... I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm resistant to talk about it because I see it just through the lens of a foreigner kind of coming in mm. and, and that, that sort of thing. But this, yeah, I mean, the stories of racial segregation and, and separation of South Africa extend till today, I mean, unquestionably. Of course. And also the legacy of that is not obviously <laughs> undone by any stretch of the mm-hmm. imagination. Yeah. Um, but it was a bit, you know, it's a bit surreal to be... Where we lived in Durban was an area that um, black South Africans were not able to access Mm. um, during apartheid rule. And so you sort of think, or you see pictures of the time, which is not that long ago, and you sort of see this and you just... It must be mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Mm -hmm. so now for parting words. Yes. What would be the thing that you tell a graduate student that's in year three or four? Maybe things aren't going that well. I, I'm very happy. I just defended on Friday, oh so I'm excited. Thank you so much. Yeah. But there were moments that were really difficult. And yeah. at times you might talk to your principal investigator. Sometimes you don't feel like you can. Yeah. As a person who's in a position that, you know, made your way up. Yeah. What would you tell trying, that person? Trying to make my way up. <laughs> I think I, I I think think about this on my way here. I think honestly, it's connecting with other researchers mm. so you your supervisors hopefully uh, like a, a, a good support for you mm. but supervisors can't do everything mm. and we're good at some things and we're less good at other things what are the things you're not good at just so <laughs> I know <laughs> yeah maybe and maybe doing some thinking in terms of like talking to other people about your supervisor like these are things that he or she mm. you know um they're not good at personal advice or Mm. they can they are not good at or they travel a lot so getting information back so there's there's just some knowledge of who your supervisor is and their 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 strengths and maybe I don't want to say weaknesses but areas that they're working on (laughs) (laughs) good way to put it that can be really helpful and I'm sure my students do that about me without question and um and I think knowing that like trying to figure out who are the other people in your field and how mm. can you reach out to them? How can you get connected with those mm-hmm. folks in various ways um, that can just give you a broader network to draw upon? Yeah. And sometimes those are your committee members and sometimes mm-hmm. they're not, mm-hmm. right? They're, they're, you know, other people that you might TA for work with or just want to be more familiar with. Yeah. Um, and I think I think that's that's important because mm-hmm. part of your role is going to be about, like, you know, part of what you're going to have to do post PhD mm-hmm. is start to become an independent researcher, right? Mm-hmm. But the pathway to that is not obvious. No, not at all. <laughs> There's so much they just expect you to know or figure out on your own. And you're like, guys, come on. 
exactly. I really felt, I really felt that. And like I said, maybe I'm not as clever. I'm not as strategic. So I really felt that. I didn't know how that was supposed to happen. And so I think that trying to make those connections and it's like going to other people's talks, like, you know, reading their papers, seeing if there's an opportunity to co-author work or those Mm -hmm. kinds of activities to just broaden your network so you can get support from different places. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, of course, like the the students that I trained with Mm -hmm. through my PhD have become... Many of them have become my most valuable collaborators, colleagues. Yeah. Um, and even if we don't work on the same topical area, mm-hmm. just that like that constant check-in of like, okay, um, I'm not getting funding, you know, from this. Like, what are you guys? How are you guys doing this? Or what do you, you know? Do you have a student? Like, mm-hmm. just kind of when you're a little bit more on the same level mm-hmm. there's different types of questions that you can ask mm-hmm. each other um in that in that way and that has proven to be a complete lifesaver for me yeah um is making those really transforming those those relationships those friendships mm-hmm. into you know like honestly like very personal relationships that support mm-hmm. families we, we support each other's families etc yeah. um, but also professional um sounding boards yeah right like how does this work you've got a great <laughs> mentor or you've got a great director like how are they doing this kind of stuff I don't yeah. have that right now um would you find sorry I, I thought that was going to be my last point but now I have another question yeah. is there any competition in your field I always felt like neuroscience was so competitive and I never liked it I'm not a competitive person I feel like science is best when we're doing it together yeah. but it doesn't sound that way necessarily I mean it of course I can't I mean it's naive to say that it's not there is of course there's competition mm. and I think it's of course oh my gosh we're all competing for a very few research dollars mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> and we're all competing for probably even fewer positions yeah so there's no question that there's going to be competition in this space mm. um and I think when I say that it's about co- collaboration I found that for people that are for my friends and colleagues that are in fields that are adjacent to mine, mm-hmm. but not identical yes. um, in the same institutions or mm-hmm. in the same space is easier for right. obvious reasons, yeah. right? Um, and, and sometimes you can have great colleagues that are in your same space and what you, what you do is, is you actually collaborate. Mm-hmm. So when I put in a grant, you're a co-investigator. When you put in a grant, I'm a co-investigator. Yeah. We try to build this together. Mm-hmm. And I think all of those relationships are important. Mm-hmm. They have different functions, and you should be very clear on what's what. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, of course. Be very clear on what's what. But, um, you know, I think, yeah, it, it's a scare. It's, it's, a, it's tough. Mm-hmm. It's tough out there. Yes. Um, but I think really being mindful about who your colleagues are, working with good people when you can. Mm. People always say that, and then you're like, well... <laughs> Hope to find them. And if you do find them, oh my gosh, hang on to them. And yeah. some of my best collaborations of the work I do in, in Uganda came th- through um, a woman who was interested in similar work that I do. She's more clinically trained, more epidemiologically trained. Mm-hmm. And we just managed to find a space where if it, the question was this, she was the lead. If the question was more like epi, mm-hmm. I was the lead. And we could work together. It's one of my most valuable collaborations. Mm-hmm. started during my training, trainee days. Wow. So I so think, it's about creating the community, it sounds like. And your community can come in different forms and be assembled with people from all over the world or right here at home. Definitely. Yeah, at different levels of their career. Definitely. Yeah. And it saved me because I think in terms of having 
kids and my own family and, and as they've had their own families mm. we've sort of had to, we've stepped up for each other when yeah. you know times were, were were busy at home and 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 sort of recalibrated over time yeah and that's been a real gift oh. uh, in my my own pathway yeah well I, I do want to say thank you thank you for agreeing first of all oh to gosh. doing this yes. like you were so responsive and I was so excited and then I spoke with you and I thought this woman is heavenly oh, <laughs> like no. you are incredible I appreciate so much of what you're doing because I believe in storytelling and I thank believe you. in I believe in um multiple I believe that multiple stories are necessary yes. to increase success for more um more I mean I care deeply about women of course mm-hmm. um and I think for women who are really underrepresented in academic circles mm-hmm. um and and we just need examples we do and one example is not enough no yeah because we're not a monolith so if we see one variant of ourselves and then we only have that to look to you go well i'm kind of short and she's tall guess what short people can't be scientists you do that in your own mind yeah. because you don't see the truest version of you in other people. Exactly. So you kind of have to see a bunch of different people and realize that you fit in in you your own little way. You fit in and you belong. Yeah. yeah. You know, you belong here. Yeah. And uh, that can be a major, you know, mental, emotional barrier to overcome. Mm-hmm. To think that like what I want in my life and what I want to do belongs here. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's something that I've thought about when you know tiny moments where we take a lab photo and i'm literally the only person from the continent of africa Mm -hmm. and it's not like we are a small group of people they're not like 20 of us i swear (laughs) (laughs) i swear they're more walking around vancouver sometimes it's hard to tell yeah but i had a moment where i thought the minute i leave there's no more of me exactly and how long is it going to be until another one of me shows up Mm -hmm. And I also just represent one corner of the continent. Like, I'm just East African. Mm -hmm. There's so many types of us that I don't represent everybody either. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's something that's obviously very close to my heart. It's the reason why this was always so important to me. Obviously, storytelling is really important. I'm also just very nosy. So, (laughs) good combination. (laughs) It works out for everybody. Yeah. 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 Anyway, thank you. My pleasure. Well, and thank you so much for doing this. Of course, of course. Hopefully we'll do it again someday. Take care. (laughs) Funding for this episode was provided by the Javad Mavafarian Center for Brain Health and the Graduate Program in Neuroscience at the University of British Columbia. As Her Royal Science is now based in the United Kingdom, we'd like to start connecting with individuals in STEM who are interested in being interviewed for our podcast. Reach out via Twitter or Instagram using the handle at her underscore science or send us an email, herroyalscience at gmail.com. As always, peace and blessings.